HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Big Green Egg, the world's largest producer of ceramic charcoal grills, and also by Springer Mountain Farms, over 300 family farms raising birds in Georgia's Blue Ridge Mountains. Learn more at BigGreenEgg.com and SpringerMountainFarms.com. Hey, everybody. This is our last show of day one at Charleston Wine and Food. I'm Kat Johnson. I'm the communications director for Heritage Radio Network. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. Um, I have so many fans out there. So it's overwhelming. <laughs> um, so this is our... This is day one for us. It's Friday at Charleston Wine and Food Festival. We've been broadcasting live interviews um, since 12 p.m. And we want to give a huge shout-out to our sponsors for, you know, allowing us to be here. Big Green Egg and Springer Mountain Farms. Um, Big thanks to Charleston Wine and Food for setting up this awesome teepee for us. It's actually two teepees, which is crazy. Um, Make sure that Saturday and Sunday, come by, see us. We're going to be doing interviews. You get to be a live audience for us. It's been really, really fun today. Um, I'm really excited because we kind of have a surprise guest at the end of our day today, which I'm not just saying this. One of my favorite chefs in the country, Katie Button from Asheville with Night Bell and Curate. Welcome, Katie. (laughs) Excited to be here. Thank you. So, Katie, I actually still live in Atlanta, so Asheville was a very frequent uh, weekend trip for me, and that's when I really fell in love with Curate. It was, it would literally be our first stop ever, when we got it on Friday nights. We were like, we have to go to Curate, and we'd sneak into the bar and just order tons of food. And so I just like thanks, for, thank you for making Curate. <laughs> thank you, I appreciate it. We've been uh, Curate's been open uh, six years now, and um, it was our first restaurant, Spanish Tapas, and we're expanding it right now into the building next door and bringing in the um, tradition of vermouth bars in Spain uh, into the building next door with vermouth, sherry, and cider on tap, which I think can only lead to really great things. Totally. (laughs) So having a Spanish restaurant in Asheville might seem like a little bit of a weird fit, but explain, explain the story of how, how that came about. So I was born in South Carolina in Conway actually, and, um, lived in Greenville a little bit, moved up and grew up in New Jersey area. But I always thought of the South as my home. My grandparents lived in, um, in Conway and we came back every year. So When we decided to open our own restaurant and we were like, gosh, opening your own business, you can live anywhere you want to. Um, 
I immediately thought I wanted to move back to the South. And we looked all over, you know, South Carolina and North Carolina. And coming through Asheville, it's just such an ind- unique city. I mean, the beer scene, the art scene, the vibrant downtown, um, the mountains and the rivers. And it's just a really wonderful place to live. It was like, okay, we have to live here and we have to learn how to make a living here. And let's open a restaurant. (laughs) And then, you know, my husband's Spanish and he actually moved to Asheville sight unseen. I uh, picked it out for him, um, for us. So, um, He's an angel, and um, he came in and just also fell in love with Asheville. I mean, he knew he'd like it, but I'm really happy that he liked it as much as I did. And he was like, look, we have to open a Spanish tapas bar here, and um, it was the best decision that we ever made. I mean, there's so many people who know Spain, have been to Spain, or those who don't, you know, who just really appreciate the food. I mean, the philosophy behind food in Spain is taking ingredients and products that are really wonderful, preparing them very simply, and just enjoying them with excellent beverages. So, And the wine list is all Spanish wine as well. Yeah, our wine list is 100% from Spain, um, which I think at first we were concerned about maybe intimidating people or they wouldn't know, you know how to order wines from Spain. But the, there's such great value in Spanish wines that um, they're so well made and you can really find something for everybody and they pair so well with the food. And I'm just really excited now to share the world of cider and vermouth and sherry again with our wonderful customers. So yeah, Curate is one of the, one of the few places where I like feel like an after dinner drink is a must because your menu just like you, like you have to. Absolutely. You have to. I'm like, I think an after dinner drink is a must, you know, Anytime you go out. <laughs> yeah. Curate but a curate for sure. Yeah. So it's great. Well, let's take it back a little bit about like how you got into cooking at all. I mean, you have a background in science. I have um, a degree in chemical and biomolecular engineering from Cornell. And then I went on and got a master's degree. That was another Cornell fan. I went on and got a master's degree um, in biomedical engineering in Paris. Um, it was really just an excuse to live in Paris that my parents would be, like, okay with, um, like, continuing your education in something that you have no idea if it's actually what you want to do or not. Um, it's not a great way to go. <laughs> but I learned a lot, and I cooked a lot when I was in, in France, and um, and that was really the turning point for me. It took me a little longer. I applied for a PhD program in neuroscience research before I realized or before I said to myself, what are you doing? You don't enjoy this. You know, it's interesting, but not your career. And Why do you think that was? Why do you think that you eventually decided, like, my path is not science, my path is cooking? Because I finally got into a lab and did the, like, the grunt work. And I think when you're in school, you're looking at things and you have no idea what, like, work in that field is actually like. You're just studying it and... That's a kind of a normal, typical story. I'm just glad I kind of got out and thought about it early on. Um, I went to Zambia the summer I was supposed to start my PhD, and I built houses for a month. And it was like the first thing I did that separated me from just like the grind of studying and working and continuing and seeing people. And it's kind of cliche, but seeing people there, the kids who were so happy, and I felt like they had so much less than me, mm-hmm. but they were so happy in their lives. And I felt like I'd been given every opportunity in the world 
And I was really, it just, it just hit me that I'd been like profoundly unhappy in my career. And, um, that was when I was like, okay, you need to get out. So I quit and, um, I wonder what my PhD, um, you know, uh, professor thinks of me now, if he even knows, but, um, Anyway, I went. I was in D.C. and I started going around doors to restaurant to restaurant, best restaurants in D.C. and saying, "Hire me." I have zero professional experience in anything culinary or restaurant related, but I have an awesome GRE score. So that was um, <laughs> that was what I did. It worked eventually. But <laughs> and where did you end up then? I um, the only person who would take a chance on somebody like that was. Uh, a manager for um, Jose Andres at Cafe Atlantico Mini Bar. And I don't know what it was. He actually was the first restaurant that gave me a quiz to take. And I was like, oh, tests. Yes. I got it. Really good with paper and pen. And I um, aced the food quiz and, you know, uh, failed the restaurant knowledge quiz. But it didn't matter. He was surprised that I aced the food quiz so he could tell I was passionate. And, um decided to give me an opportunity in serving first um, because nobody would hire somebody in the kitchen with no experience. So um, I worked really hard after that. It opened the doors for me. And um, I realized very soon that restaurants were the world that I loved and that feeling and the energy and the business was just what I needed to do for the rest of my life. Do you think that 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 initial experience in serving has helped you now that you've opened your own restaurant? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, now um, not only do I run the kitchens in in my restaurants, but, um, you know, I'm an owner of two businesses. And you have to have a full view of everything that's going on in order, I think, to be successful. And having that understanding of the front of the house and how they operate and how it functions, I think, helps me really um, make our restaurants successful. And my husband runs our front of the house service and beverage program. So I also think it helps in our marital relations, which is great. Understanding <laughs> what he's doing on a day-to-day basis. Yes, understanding sure. his half yeah. and not, not you know, always um, fighting that. So, sure. so it's great. Sure. Well, speaking of your husband, can you, like, tell us, tell us a story about how you guys met? So um, Felix um, is my husband. We actually met first working for Jose Andres in D.C. So once I started working there, Felix showed up about two months after I had started working for Jose. He was from a restaurant, a little small restaurant called El Bulli. Um You may have heard of it. You may have heard of it. Um, one of the best restaurants in the world for like five years. <laughs> and he showed up to consult in service in all of Jose's restaurants in D.C. And I had been forewarned about him before he showed up. Like, you know, they were just saying, look, there's this like Spanish, like lover, you know, showing up and beware, um, be cautious, um, you know, stay away from him basically. (laughs) Um, but it didn't take us very long to, you know, kind of see each other. And, um, he claims the first day he walked in that he saw me come down a staircase and was like, just in love, um, which was very sweet. So, uh, but, um, from there, you know, we, we met and, he invited me to come work at El Bulli, and I was like, oh, my God, best restaurant in the world, live in Spain, of course, please sign me up. And I got there my first year. I worked in the front of the house, but I was determined 
to make my way into the kitchen. And um, I really had to prove myself when I was there and work really hard for them to be able to invite me back into the kitchen the following year. Um, and I went and got some cooking experience at other of Jose's more cooking experience at Jean Georges in New York and Jose's restaurants in LA, all to make it back into the kitchen at El Bouilly. So when you had your first gig at um, at Jose Andrea's restaurant in DC, was that kind of like the first time that you were exposed to Spanish cuisine and decided that that was the direction you wanted to take? Absolutely. I mean, it was being there and then living in Spain and working at El Bouilly and then meeting Felix's mother, who's just like an amazing cook. And she cooks so simply, you know, I'll ask her for a recipe and she has no idea how to tell me how to make something. It's like, you know, I don't know, like a handful of this and, you know, a, a scoop of that. And um, but she just has this amazing, authentic Spanish, like, cooking thought process. And I love, I fell in love with the way that they eat in Spain, like going around to tapas bars, having a couple of bites, a wonderful beverage, and then moving on to the next place, all the while people watching. And it was like the best way to spend a day. And I was thinking, gosh, why do we sit down and eat like really full meals over long periods of time? You know what I mean? In the this United States. This could be States. more of an event. Like this exactly. could be this could be an all-day thing. Eating and yes. drinking and enjoying yourself yes. can be an all-day event. And um, which is what honestly food festivals are all about. So that is I true. Get That's it. why people like them, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Totally. So you recently released a cookbook. I your, did. Your first, yes. right? My first cookbook came out this fall in October. What was that process like? So um, it was a lot more work than I thought. It was the it's the Curate cookbook called Authentic Spanish Food from an American Kitchen, and I really wanted to write a book that was for home cooks. So I tested all the recipes from our restaurant at home and um, wrote them with that in mind, and then you know did the the all the testing and the writing and the photography and the editing. But I really loved the experience. I think it. Um, taps into my the science brain that I have of measuring things and being precise so I enjoy that about cookbook writing I think it can probably overwhelm um, some people but at the end of the experience I just want to make another cookbook because I think it's um, really important and then being able to connect with my diners on a, like our guests and you know people who come into the restaurant in a different way so that I can be like look you can make this at home you know, that's really special and amazing. Yeah, I think a lot of chefs, um, it, it really is, writing a recipe for a, a, a kitchen and a restaurant and at home is very different. And very I think different. some people just don't have um, the patience to do that. It's so true. It's very different. And now that I have a, a two-year-old, a toddler, you know, I've been um, struggling with the issue that I think everybody in America struggles with, where two parents work you come home, you like really want your child to eat well, so you're like really feel it's important to try to like rush home and make a healthy meal for the whole family. And um, let me tell you, it is freaking hard, right? You know, and and you would think, oh, Katie's a chef, like she's got it figured out. It's not hard, but the things that I make in the restaurants. Like, we compile things that take hours and hours upon hours to make, and it's just impossible to do that at home. Right. Well, last question for you, because as I said, when we go to Asheville, first stop we make is curate. 
but next time that we go visit, is there anywhere new or cool that we should go? Well, my, my first thing to say is Night Bell, but yes. <laughs> because it's using, it's doing Appalachian-focused um, local ingredients, small plates, really inventive food, which is really exciting. Um, apart from that, I have two places that are my favorites in Asheville that opened up in West Asheville. One is Hole. It's a donut shop. But so simple, fried to order. No, you can't go in and get, like, a whole bunch of crazy toppings. They only make, like, four different types of donuts. They're kind of um, salty, savory, and refined all at the same time. It's perfect. And then Owl Bakery that in West Asheville that makes the most amazing pastry. She's, she's bringing in um, doing more and more bread, which is her wheelhouse. And uh, Susanna is her name. And I'm just... Really excited to see what she creates. I've heard of her. I'm definitely going to put that on my list. Ow, yeah. Okay, well, Katie, thank you so much for joining us. We are literally getting run out of the culinary village. Yes, so we're living on the edge here. Um, <laughs> That's how we like to live. I know, right? <laughs> run um, out by the police. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. This is, like ra- this is wrapping our first day of yeah! Charleston Wine and Food. And join us here tomorrow. We're going to start broadcasting around 11, 15 a.m. Um, once again, thank you to our sponsors, Big Green Egg and Springer Mountain Farms. Check out our full, full schedule at Charleston Wine and, um, sorry, heritageradionetwork.org slash Charleston. That's where our full schedule is. And we'll see you back here tomorrow morning. This episode is brought to you by Big Green Egg, the world's largest producer of ceramic charcoal grills. In business since 1974, they've transformed ancient cooking vessels into modern-day masterpieces. Today, they sell seven sizes of the egg, as well as hundreds of accessories designed to make your cooking fun, entertaining, and delicious. Often copied but never equaled, the Big Green Egg is the ultimate cooking experience. Learn more at BigGreenEgg.com. This episode is also brought to you by Springer Mountain Farms, over 300 family farmers raising birds in Georgia's Blue Ridge Mountains. Many of them are second and even third generation. They're committed to doing things the right way. Springer was one of the first poultry companies to forego the use of antibiotics, and they've embraced other humane practices too. In fact, they were the first poultry company to earn the American Humane Association seal of approval. Learn more at springermountainfarms.com.